And um, so uh, with that, we want to make sure that we're um, washing our hands a lot, right? And um, I know that uh, Costco and Sam's Club, they're out of toilet paper, paper towels, and water. And so, but if you go to Staters, if you go to Ralph's or wherever else, they they have them there. They they have plenty. They have plenty. Uh, Hand sanitizer, you can make your own. So it's two-thirds cup alcohol, at least 91%, and uh, one-third cup um, uh, aloe vera, and uh, voila, you have hand sanitizer. But it's a great concern. Of course it is. And so we want to make sure that you're well-informed as to how to protect yourself from the coronavirus and really any other flus, any other uh, illnesses that are going around. And so we have something from the CDC. We printed them out, and we have made them available for you at the back table. So if you'd like some more information on that, please make sure you pick one of these up, and uh, that way you're, you're well-informed. But um, they're there for you. All right? Keep praying, though, because I know that we're doing everything possible to come, come up with um, – uh, you know, a, a cure for it, something that a uh, vaccine that will uh, combat it. And so keep praying that we get that soon and we have it available to as many people uh, as needed and uh, that, um, you know, the Lord would just protect uh, against that. So do you guys know of anyone who has the coronavirus? No? Okay. All right. Well, th- <laughs> Do we have a place in the back? I think. Uh, <clears throat> All right. Well, thank God that uh, our hope is in the Lord. You know, as uh, you know, uh, we don't live uh, in, in a unique time in which there was no illness at the time of the apostles. Even in the early church, there was a lot that was going around. And, and for them, their hope wasn't uh, in, the, in, the, in the present day, um, not even in their present lives, but in uh, their hope light in, in what was to come, the glory of the Lord that was uh, assured to them uh, through Jesus Christ. So, all right. So let's jump on to a different track here. Let's go to the Word of God. We're in Acts chapter, where are we at? Chapter 6 now, right? Acts chapter 6. Uh, we're going to take a look at an issue that was taking place within the church and how it is that the leaders of the church address that. And, uh, and it all worked out very well. So the title of this morning's message is Problem Solved. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. In verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, 
and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, uh, desiring to learn and to understand how it is that, Lord, your church was obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, that they, they look to you for wisdom on how to address a specific issue within the church. Uh, Lord, as we see here, um, Lord, the early church um, was imperfect, and so it is today. And we need to be seeking you for the answers to some of the problems that we are faced with. Lord, I pray that we would learn to trust in you, that everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in the knowledge and understanding of your word. Lord, there's nothing that has escaped you. And so, because you have the answers to life's issues, how much more to issues within the church and the need and desire and the need to come to you Lord, give us the desire, and Lord, the um, Lord, the uh, just the, the the leading of the Spirit to come to you uh, when these things come up in our lives. Lord, may you get all the glory. We give you all the praise for this moment. I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, problem solved. We see that uh, worked out in a matter of seven verses, but I'm sure it didn't take uh, just uh, a couple minutes to take care of this issue. It took some time. This morning, we'll discover a problem that is addressed within the church. Up to this point, we've seen only one other major issue uh, come up within the church, the attempted deception of Ananias and Sapphira as they lied to the Holy Spirit. Uh, They had sold a piece of property and brought the proceeds Uh, to Peter, but we know that uh, what they brought wasn't the whole amount of the uh, sale itself. And so we we saw that this was a major issue that came up within the church. And then here was another issue that came up within the church. The uh, other major attacks that we've seen have all come from the outside. The Jewish leaders who were attempting to stop the apostles from spreading Christianity, from from uh, closing their mouths, uh, you know, stopping them from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This chapter has two sections, the first of which we will cover this morning. And it's addressing a complaint from within the church. And the second one we'll cover next week, which is a complaint found or an issue uh, from without. That is that there was uh, an accusation, a false accusation that was brought to the attention of one person, and one person was, was uh, they were trying to bring down one person, and that is Stephen, who we're going to uh, find out about this morning. Now, <clears throat> what we uh, see in all of this is a constant attempt by the enemy to destroy the church. You know, even today, that work is, is uh, happening That work is being done by the enemy to destroy the church, to divide, uh, to distract, to minimize the effectiveness of the church itself within the community that it's established in. We know according according to John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus speaking said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8 says, 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And in the book of Job, Job 1.7, says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And, and he, so he, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to destroy. And primarily, <clears throat> the ones he wants to destroy, distract, divide, um, to remove from within the body itself, the church, is uh, our, our believers. Those who would be effective in the kingdom of God to bring glory to God. So, we know that Satan's work is division, destruction, and death. He's a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan will use anything to accomplish his goals. Attacks from within and attacks from without the church, outside of the church. And this is why it's, it's really important. This is why we should be all the wiser to his schemes as we study God's word. Now, how is it that we, we would learn to identify, to discern when the enemy is attacking? It's by the very word of God. It's by having a good grasp, a good understanding of his word. In this way, we'll learn to respond in ways that combat Satan's attempts to cause divisions and destroy us. And by applying God's word to strengthen our lives in Christ as we draw near to the Lord. You know, the word tells us as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And the way we draw near to him is by getting into his word uh, through fellowship and encouraging one another in his word. Uh, we encourage one another uh, and stir each other up to love and good works. But the, that, that love is, is only accurate if we know the love of God, which comes to be known through the word of God. And to stir each other up to good works. You know, what, are, what is exactly a good work? And it's defined uh, in the Word of God. And so it's really important for us to be discerning uh, and being wise in life uh, by and through the study of God's Word and applying it to our lives. Because if we learn God's Word, we will be equipped to address all issues that pertain to life and godliness. As it says in 2 Peter 1.3, his, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So, three very simple things that we see here in these verses as we break them down. Number one, we'll see the complaint as we read through it. Number two, we'll see the solution and number three, the action. Because we can have a complaint. We can identify that which is, which is possibly something that's wrong, something that needs fixing. We can come up with a solution, but if we fail to act, then what good is it? Right? We've identified it. We know. And hey, this is the solution. And who's going to do it? That happens, by the way, uh, all the time with us individually. You know, we, we look at this and we look at the church and we can say, well, this is how the church should address issues, should address problems within it. Some areas that they're, they're missing the mark in. But let me tell you that this translates to our own personal lives with the Lord. You know, what is it that we do when in our own lives, God reveals something that is out of line? Well, there's the problem, Right. 
And then he gives you the solution to that problem. Well, here's the word. He's not only revealed it, but he's also given you the solution. So us as individuals should therefore at that point confess, repent, and do that which is right. We act on what we know to do. And James, it says that for the person who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him it is sin. And so with knowledge comes responsibility. And so this applies to the individual just as much as it does to the church. But we're looking at this issue that was presented to the church, the early church, and we can see that they were organized. There, there was something happening there to where they were all coming together. They were sharing in things, and uh, there were leaders within the church. And at this point, it was primarily the apostles that were leading the church. So let's look, take a look at the complaint in verses 1 and 2. Once again, let's read. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So not only was there an issue brought before the apostles, but the apostles also identified a problem within that. Now, there's this um, motivational slogan that um, has continued on since the year 1939. And today it's been made popular by these T-shirts and posters. It says, keep calm and carry on. And, you know, there's also other... You know, you can replace carry on with just about anything else. And we've seen the memes, right? We've seen it there. But this was actually originally back in 1939. Uh, Britain had come up with this slogan during World War II. And its purpose was to boost the morale of the, of, of the British uh, people. Uh, Who's, by the way, major cities were always under a threat of being uh, bombarded uh, with air raids. You know, Today we see the shirts of the slogan, but that, that was the origin of that, of that slogan. For us, we need to keep calm as Christians. You know, I know there's a lot happening in today's world. There, there are issues that come up within our families, our marriages, within our church, within our places of work, in all kinds of different places. But, but for us as Christians... You know, it, it's like as if we have the answers to all these problems before us, and we do. We should keep calm and trust in the Lord and look to Him for the answers. Whenever we're faced with a problem, the first thing we ought to remember is to keep calm and have faith in the Lord. To look to Him. It's okay. Nothing, it, it, nothing should really come to a shock to you. It's more of, okay, that's an issue. Let's resolve it. What is it that we're going to do? Number one, we go to prayer. That's what we ought to do. We ought to be a, a people of prayer. And so in prayer, uh, you know, we give our laundry list of problems to the Lord. And in turn, what we do is we're still and, and, and we, we want to listen for that still small voice. We want to listen for what he says to us through his word as to the solution to that problem. So... We want to seek his will in it all. And with that, 
we need to think rightly. It's very important. Yes, I, I said think rightly. Because we can think wrongly. We, we can think in ways that are opposed to the Lord. We can make up all the excuses in the world and, and try and justify why it is that we think the way we do. You know, it's, whether it's my upbringing, my circumstances, uh, you know, whatever it is. But really, when it comes right down to what really matters is whether our thoughts are aligned with God's thoughts. That's what really matters. Instead of our emotions leading us, we need to let God's word lead us. Looking to the godly wisdom that comes from God's word. You know, we we filter these thoughts um, through God's word and see if it matches up with him. So let's consider some of the, the circumstances of the situation, some of the issues. Now, number one, in verse one, it says that the church was growing. At this point, we, we see, you know, thousands of people coming to faith. It, it's not a small movement. I mean, it started out just big time from the very beginning. 3,000 the first time that Peter uh, preached a sermon, 5,000 the second time that he preached a sermon. And then now we have 12 apostles that are gaining confidence in the Lord, seeing how it was that the Lord was working through them. And, and they were out preaching the word. And so many people were coming to, coming to faith. So can you imagine in a short amount of time, if let's just say, for instance, all of us, it wasn't just 12, it's just all of us here were out preaching the gospel and we were seeing, let's just say, in the next 6 to 12 months, we see this place grow from what we have now to over 10,000 people. Would there be issues within the church? <laughs> I can tell you that there'd be, there'd be many problems. There'd be many things that, that need to be addressed. And so that's why it's important, by the way, for all of, us, all of us to be equipped, to be mature disciples in the Lord, following him and understanding what it means to follow him, love him. And therefore, we could pass it along to others. There's nothing that is beyond the Lord. What he could do with, with this small body here is amazing if we give ourselves to him. But the church was growing. Thousands of people were coming to faith. Secondly, of course, with thousands of people coming to faith, the church was diverse, right? There were all kinds of people that were a part of the church. And, of course, obviously, the church was experiencing a problem. So what was the problem? Well, we see two groups represented here. One group accused another group of not ministering to their widows. Uh, the Hebrews were accused of neglecting the Hellenists' widows in the distribution of food. Hey, uh, you guys that are in charge, you guys are neglecting our widows. And we don't appreciate that. That needs to be addressed and needs to be taken care of. Now, it's interesting, the whole relationship between the Hebrews and the Hellenists. Because both sets, you know that they were, they were both Jews. Only the Hellenists... Um, basically, they, they adapted to the Greek culture. They were of the diaspora. In other words, the dispersion of the Jews into, um, into Greece, into that area of the world. And so they took on that culture. They, they adapted to it. 
But as far as the Hebrews were concerned, they were more of the traditionalists, ones who were very um, conservative in, in their, uh, their lives. And so you can imagine um, the way each group viewed each other. The Hellenists looked at the Hebrews as, you guys think you're holier than thou, you're so strict in your adherence to religion. And then on the other side, the Hellenists look, or the, the uh, Hebrews looked at the Hellenists as, uh, you guys are very liberal, you guys are compromisers, and you guys mix in, as we would say, the world in with your faith. And so that's, those are the two groups that we have here. And so the Hellenists were accusing the Hebrews of neglecting the distribution of what was necessary for their widows. But one thing we need to keep in mind is regardless where they were, as far as those perspectives were concerned, they needed to be brought back into line with the Lord. And to understand grace and mercy and compassion and patience and the love that is shared by all because they were all Christians and by the way these two groups had both they, they both had Jewish backgrounds they, they were all of the same family and they were all part of the same local church they were well another problem was identified and that was the actual distribution uh, in the Jewish culture, the care of widows and orphans was very important. And normally within the temples, this was done. Uh, the authorities would actually organize a dis- distribution uh, to the needy. Uh, and I just want to also note, because there is, a, there is a standard, by the way, as far as widows within the church is concerned. And that's addressed in First Timothy 5. And that is that widows need to be um, those who are of a certain age and are also faithful to serving within the church, especially given to prayer. And so there's certain standards that, of course, are uh, laid out and applied to widows as well as anyone else. Um, And so that was the standard as the Apostle Paul had written to Timothy, and so it was in this time as well. It seems that this was still expected of the church. I know that this was a common practice Um, of the Jews in the temple, but this was something that the apostles didn't say, no, you know what, that was part of the Jewish tradition and something that was done within the temple, but we're not doing it within our church. And and, uh, so they, but they didn't reject it. What they did was they, they say, they saw this as something that was necessary within the church. And so all they did was set standards and um, they wanted to do this. And they wanted to do it well. So this was all part of taking care of each other. It is implied by verse 2 that up to this point, the 12 apostles were distributing the food daily to the widows. So, you know, it was something to where the apostles probably at this point were doing quite a bit. They, they had their hands in everything. Just keep in mind that this church, the church itself, grew very rapidly. And so they were... They were seeking the Lord daily, moment by moment. You know, what do we do now? Where do we go? How do we do this? Um, They were looking to the Lord to provide a way for it all. Perhaps uh, the oversight of some of the widows was because the apostles were dividing their time between prayer and study 
and the daily administration of the practical needs of the church. So they were doing everything they, they possibly could. I, I know that Moses' father-in-law, you know, as, as he was there with all the people, if, if you can imagine, here's thousands. Uh, with, with Moses, there was a couple million. And, uh, and so Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, saw that Moses sat and, and he, he judged the people's issues from sun up to sun down. And, and I'm just paraphrasing as Jethro says, what, what are you doing? What you're doing is not good. It's like, how can that not be good? I'm judging the issues of the people and, and I'm you know, helping them uh, work through these issues. And he says, no, 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 you're going to kill yourself. You know, choose men who are able to take care, who are discerning, uh, wise, uh, people who are, uh, you know, godly. That could come alongside you and help you out. Well, here we see another situation here. And, and Moses heeded his father-in-law's word, his suggestions, his opinion, his, his counsel. And so it is here as we look at the, the 12 apostles, they, would, they were rapidly being overwhelmed by all of the issues. And so they too went to the Lord and... Uh, to take care of this issue, to find out the solution to the problem. Now, these apostles, instead of blaming others, they took full responsibility and identified the reason for the problem. But notice that they identified both the serving of tables and the preaching of the word of God as important and worth resolving. This was a genuine problem. And and both were seen as important within the body of Christ. Serving of tables, by the way, isn't necessarily that they were, they were waiters and waitresses that were serving the tables, but that they were administrating uh, the needs of the people within the church. That's all that was. The, the practical things that were necessary within the church. But they were both important. In this situation, Satan would have loved to have divided the church over this issue. Immediately. For this to be built up into a bitter feud. And this could have been a situation that was ripe for the first church split. Here it is. There's a complaint between, you know, between two different groups. But there's a solution. There's always a solution. That's why, you know, it's unnecessary. It really is unnecessary, you know, for any church to experience any major slit. Really, any church, if they give themselves to the Word of God to bring godly solutions, biblical solutions to any issue, and if all sides are humble and are willing to receive, then there could be reconciliation and restoration, and we'd be better for it. And we could continue to grow. But all those elements need to be be there within that uh, situation. So that was a complaint. Number two, the solution, verse three, says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So here's a solution. And the apostles uh, brought this before the disciples. The apostles stated that, that it was wrong to leave their central calling to administer the practical needs of the widows. 
And by the way, this is not to say that the work of the apostles was better than all the others. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do that they were called to that specific area of ministry. They were called to the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it, they, they stated, they identified, they said, it's wrong for us to now neglect what God has called us to in order to go and do something else. That would be a sin for us to do. And at this point, they were making every attempt. It wasn't that they didn't want to. But like I said, it was implied that they were doing this up to this point. They were just, I would say they were overwhelmed. They, they couldn't possibly do everything well. And so, all the areas of ministry will suffer if there are only a few people doing everything. And, and, and they, the, the few people that are doing everything will get tired. We get tired. So that's why Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says that everyone needs to be equipped for the work of the ministry. To be built up in sound doctrine. That we would not only have a good working knowledge of the word of God. That within, that, but that also within the body, the church itself, that each person would do their part. That way if everyone does their part, no one person is overwhelmed. So the solution to this problem is... Delegate authority and work. Delegate authority and work. That, that's actually a great thing to do. And sometimes some leaders, uh, their problem is that they don't learn how to delegate. They'll delegate, but then they'll micromanage because they want full control of it. And, and they, so they, they hover over someone and they don't entrust someone fully to the work that they have given to them to do. So, on the other hand, though, there are those leaders who just point, they don't equip you, they don't explain anything to you, and just say, figure it out. So, there's two sides of the spectrum. But a, a good leader, what a good leader will do is, hey, here's the problem, here's the solution, we've identified it, here is what's necessary to be successful in what you've been given, and please let me know if you have any any issues, let me know if there's anything that I can do to help you in the work that you've been given authority to accomplish. Now, the solution was delegate authority and work. Ultimate responsibility and accountability is still with the apostles. That's where it stays. The pastor, So pastors, I want to speak about pastors. There are different opinions about the work of a pastor. I'm sure if I asked, you would all have different opinions, perhaps, of what a pastor's work is. Some think that he should be everything to everyone as he is asked, so it is required of him to serve in every way. Um, that is, uh, I remember Pastor Chuck and him going over this and, and making reference to the pastor. And, you know... Um, he says, you know, if a, if a pastor, um, you know, sometimes the, the opinion is that he should be a taxi to whom needs a taxi. Uh, in other words, if, if uh, anyone and everyone needs a ride, then call the pastor and he should figure it out. If not, do it himself to, you know, have someone taken from point A to point B. Um, you need any landscape work. You know, it should be the pastor. After all, you don't really do anything, do you? 
How about a mechanic? My car needs fixing. Well, mine needs fixing. So <laughs> any mechanics? Um, it's just, it could be so many different things. A mover, you know, um, right. have truck, will move. Uh, you know, it, it's all kinds of different things. But, you know, we, we, can, we have different perspectives. We have different ideas of what a pastor really should give himself to. Although a pastor should be willing, this should never be done at the expense of prayer and the preparation of sermons and counseling. The ministry of the word is what pastors should be given to. According to, not my opinion, not the, the opinion of any other pastor, but according to scripture. And that's what we ought to look to. Is scripture, right? Amen? You guys still with me? All right. At the same time, there is something wrong with the heart of a pastor that sees other work as beneath them. There's something wrong. Again, I, I, I remember the example that was set you know, within Calvary Chapel. The Calvary Chapel movement uh, started with the Lord and he used Pastor Chuck Smith. And one of the things that really he found detestable... Uh, were cigarette butts. You guys, how many of you have heard this story? Right? He absolutely hated, some of you have. Well, he, he hated, he, he says he had to really seek the Lord because every time he saw someone smoking, he, he thought it was like the grossest thing in the world. And so he really had, had to ask the Lord to soften his heart because he didn't want to hate smokers, you know. And, and then when, when they take the cigarette and, uh, and they throw it on the ground. So, what he would do is he would go around the church campus in the parking lot and in other places around there, and he would pick up the cigarette butts and just pick them up, just clean up. You know, and there was nothing that was beneath him. He was often found just doing what needed to be done around the church, whether it was cleaning toilets, um, sweeping, vacuuming, cleaning windows, whatever it was. He was willing to do those things. And yet he knew that all of those things could not take the place of his study, his time of of studying God's word and prayer. And so it wasn't beneath him to do those things because he knew that that was ministry also. For we have one who served us all. In fact, we have the example of Jesus Christ who girded himself and and, uh, and he, he knelt down, he came down to the place of the servant of the house, and he washed the feet of his disciples. We have one who served us all, who went to the cross and died for us. We need to be careful that we never are filled with pride and look to anyone else as being beneath us. We're all on level ground when it comes to the foot of the Christ, the, the cross before Christ. So the solution here, pick some men to do the work. Okay, here are the qualifications. These ought to be, as the apostles had brought all the number of the disciples to them, I said, here are the qualifications. Number one, they need to be men of good repute. They had, need to have a good reputation, morally upright, having a good reputation among the people. 
If I were to ask anyone about you, would they say, you know, that, that you're a hypocrite, that you live with one foot in the world and one foot uh, in the church or, you know, walking with the Lord? Um, do you speak out of both sides of your mouth? What, I mean, or would they say, no, this is an upright man, a man who truly genuinely seeks the Lord and, uh, and does what is right. That's what he desires to do. And that's what he does. You know, so these men had to be men of good repute. Number two, they needed to be men who were full of the spirit, men who were led by the Holy Spirit instead of the flesh. It's not these weren't perfect men, but men who would acknowledge uh, when they fell short and quickly confessed and repented and uh, and walked down the path of glorifying the Lord. Being led by the spirit. Number three, men who were full of godly wisdom. Men who relied on God's word to be the answer to everyday living and everyday issues. As it says in James 1.5, that uh, if we lack wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. And so we know that wisdom comes from the Lord and so we ought to seek him. So these were men, these were the qualifications, good reputation, full of the spirit and you are walking in godly wisdom, always seeking him. Oh, with men like these, you could do so much. And everything matters. These were the men who were given the responsibility of practical administration and practical details surrounding the care of the widows. They oversaw the finances and provisions and overall care of the ministry. So it wasn't that the apostles were spiritually minded and those selected to serve as administrators of this ministry were they were just they were not so much spiritually minded, but they were just very practical. No, no, no. They ought to be spiritual as well as practical. The both come together. It's not either or, it's and. Both of them need to come together for anyone and everyone who is serving. Now, we also need to understand that both distribution, the word distribution and the word ministry are the same words as we see here in verses 1 and 4. It's the same word. Whether practical or spiritual, they are both service unto the Lord. And we ought to do everything with excellence unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever we do. And the disciples were tasked with the work to select seven men who met these qualifications and bring them to the apostles when they identified them for final approval. So it wasn't the apostles who were going to find these men. It was, hey, all the men were coming together. They were brought and said, this, these are the qualifications. You pick them out and then bring them to us. And while they did that, they were returning to prayer and studying the word and the overall ministry of the word. Preaching and teaching. They entrusted this work to the disciples and they waited. The apostles, you see, were simply looking for a solution to the problem and this was it. So the complaint, the solution, and finally the action. Verse 5 says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they said before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Finding solutions to problem is a great thing. But solutions aren't worth anything unless people act on the solution. It's of no use. The disciples were in complete agreement with the solution. 
And as they were tasked with this, go find seven men. Good repute, full of spirit, and full of godly wisdom. They went and they did it. They searched, they found, they discussed, and they decided on these seven men that met the spiritual qualifications. And then they came back and presented them to the apostles. So they acted on the solution. Again, this is a lesson for us. As we see the church do this, the early church, so it is that we ought to do this personally in our own lives as individuals, as we're presented with problems in our own lives, that we agree that is a problem. We find the solution in God's word. And then we act on the solution. We move forward. Now, with this specific group, it's interesting because the names identify them as Hellenists. That is at least what most believe to be true because of their names. They were Greek names. And so you could say that possibly they were Jews with Greek names and they were Hellenists. And they were placed in charge to administer these needs to the widows. Their practical service, as we see here, was taken very seriously. You say, well, you know, what's the big deal? You know, it, it's just uh, like a food pantry, right? We have this food pantry, something, someone who, is, uh, who has experience in administration and, you know, can keep a, a, a good, you know, keep everything or- organized, you know, and who cares who it is? Just put them in charge of that and everything will be fine, no? Well, that's not the way it works in the church. It, it's just, it's different because everything is spiritual here. Everything. It, there's nothing... That is unimportant here. Imagine if someone comes and and someone that is serving in the church has no understanding of even the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just explaining to them, I mean, how, how is it that I can come to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not sure. Let me ask the pastor. It shouldn't it shouldn't be that. It should be every single person who's serving should have a good grasp of, at the very least, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then from there understand and have a good understanding of the word of God as a whole. Every area is important. What's interesting, of course, and I had mentioned this earlier, is is, uh, just take in mind Jesus, our Lord. How was that? He was a servant of all. We need to keep that in mind. So not only was it required that they meet these requirements, but that they were also brought before the apostles for final inspection, you could say, and to be prayed over as they were commissioned for their work by the Lord. And so the apostles acted and the people acted and the problem was solved. Very simple, right? And yet we need to take the time to go through what we see here. As an example. So we see the complaint, the solution, and then the action. And then we need to see the result. Verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So this was the result of it all. Something that started out that could have been disastrous. Oh, the Hellenists brought a complaint against the Hebrews. The Hebrews could have been filled with pride and said, no way, we're doing a great job. I don't care what you say. And then everything could have just blown up and become something different. Instead of 
thank God that the apostles didn't react like that. And they were humble and they received that complaint. They understood it. In fact, they added another issue that they uh, had revealed. That was that they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be dividing their time between that if, if it was at the cost of, of uh, the ministry of the word of God. And so they thought, yep, you're right. This is not going to destroy us. It's gonna, we're going to be stronger for it because we're going to find a solution to it. They did, and they all came together, and they acted on the solution. And this is what happened. The preaching of the word of God increased. That's interesting. As more people gave of themselves to the administration of the needs of the church, the preaching of the word increased. The apostles were free to, to pray and to study and to preach and teach the word of God. Oh, and with that, hold on. This is what happened. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly, not just a little bit, but greatly. There were more people that were coming to faith, not only coming to faith, but were learning how to follow Jesus Christ because of the ministry of the word of God. Not only that, but a great number of priests were coming to faith in Christ. The priests. The priests were being converted? Yeah, who were the priests? Well, they were the religious leaders of the Jews. They were coming to a place of being converted, of coming to know a relationship with Jesus Christ, of, of proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ in their own lives. They were coming to salvation. Satan would have loved for the church to fall apart over all of this. And instead, the church came together and it flourished. I pray that we would take responsibility to respond to the Lord in a way that glorifies him. And to give no place to the devil among us. In our own lives and also in the, in the life of the church itself. That we would learn to resolve issues and look to the word of God. Humble ourselves before him. Because as we humble ourselves before him, his word tells us that in due time, he will exalt us. That is, he, he will lift us up to the place that he intends for us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come to you, Lord, in the simple, well, we, we see it as simple because it was taken care of in such a short time as far as what we see in scripture here. But Lord, we knew that it, we know that it required the humility of your people, especially of those that you've entrusted uh, to lead your people. Lord, number one, I pray for the leadership within this church. That we would be mindful of the needs and be willing to act on that which comes to our attention as issues that are worthy to address, address and, uh, and take care of. I also pray for the church as a whole. That we would all do our part. That there wouldn't be just a small group of people who are constantly doing everything, but that everyone would be willing to do their part, that the load would be lightened across the board. And with that, that the gospel would go out to more people, that the number of disciples would grow, and we would see many conversions Many people come into faith and we ourselves would grow 
and be mature in you. Loving you and praising you and worshiping you and enjoying time together in fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray.